morning. So we're going to be in 1 John, starting in uh, verse 5, and we're going to go through uh, chapter 2, verse 2. It should be on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. This is the message we heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Amen? That's good news. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You may be seated. This phrase has been resonating in my mind over the last few weeks as I've prepared for this, and we just sung it. Thank you for that song, Tom. I love it. Love singing the scriptures, the word of God. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. It's interesting, you know, John writes a little different than the Apostle Paul. When, and by the way, when God inspired the writers of the scripture, they didn't become robots. Uh, their personality and who God made them to be comes through the pages. And so I love that God reveals himself through, through people. And his Holy Spirit, it says, and Peter carried them along. And so they were carried along by the Holy Spirit to reveal the deep things of God, the reality, the revelation of who God is. And so in John, we see uh, a writing that's very different from Paul. Paul's very logical, very linear, linear in his thinking and, his, and in how he presents truth. But in John, we see uh, a different way of describing that's imaginative and almost uh, uh, circular in the sense he comes back to themes again and again and again as he repeats these truths over and over again. He's also a master of metaphor. <laughs> he loves pictures. And if you go into Revelation, another book written by John, you will see all kinds of pictures. And you'll try to say, what's he talking about, right? And I love it because it sparks our imagination. It sparks us to go deeper and to think about what God is revealing to us. And so when he says God is light, he doesn't mean literally light but he's revealing something about God. And I told you last week that as we read John's letter of 1 John, or it's actually not a letter, it's a sermon that he gave that was recorded and was shared with the churches. And John probably preached it in front of a group of believers, potentially in Ephesus. But he is referring back to Genesis chapter 1. He was deeply shaped by the account of God's creation of all things. And uh, that's where he begins in the Gospel of John. And that's where he begins here, right? Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which is a reflection of the very first verse in the entire Bible, that in the beginning God created. 
right? And what is the first thing God created? Light, right? If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, it says he created light. Now, some people have said, wait a minute, because it's not till the fourth day that he creates the sun. And uh, some people have tried to make that a, a contradiction, but I don't think it is at all. It's very intentional. And facts the more we discover about our universe the more it rings true to the reality of what we see and what we know and what we experience because if you peer into the universe scientists have seen that we are not the center of the universe <laughs> in fact we're just a, a little small string of stars in the very outer reaches of the milky way galaxy and among billions and billions of other galaxies in this infinite space and scientists have described light and darkness dark matter things not understood but the only way we can measure the universe is through light <laughs> and it's interesting that God created light first and it says he separated the light from the darkness and I think there's two things that that speaks of for us to understand what John is talking about when he says God is light First of all, I believe John is declaring that God is the creator. He is the creator and sustainer of everything that exists. And the way light is so insightful to understand that reality, it's because everything in our lives is ordered around light. Think about it. Do you have a birthday? <laughs> if you have a birthday, you have to use that birthday to um, do a lot of things in this world. If you want a driver's license, if you want a Facebook account, even if you want to go on a dating site, right? You got to put your birth date in there, right? <laughs> if you want a job, you have to give your birth date. Why? Because we measure time and we order our lives around light. If we didn't have light, we wouldn't have any order, any understanding of anything. Let's keep talking about that. What did you eat this morning? What did you drink? Did you have some coffee? <laughs> How did you get that coffee? It required light. If you ate anything, if you put on any clothes, this building exists because of light. Your house exists because of light. Everything that exists, exists because there's light. John says God is light. Everything exists. Everything is ordered by God. He is the creator and the sustainer of everything that exists. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> Does that blow you away? And we see evidence of it all around us. God is light. But if you go back to the Genesis account, we see that God orders, creates out of chaos. He brings order. He brings light. We also see that John uh, reflects off of that Genesis account because not only does God order things and create things, he also declares it is very good. <laughs> very good. And so light is good. And we know this. Deep in our being, we know and we long for the light. If you're ever in a dark place without light, you long for the light. <laughs> right, Donovan? <laughs> Donovan took me and my son and a few kids deep into a, a flume trail cave and he made us turn off all our flashlights. <laughs> and so we were wandering in the darkness and we longed for light because light is good. And everything we enjoy in this life comes from light. That coffee, that breakfast, 
that favorite TV show or movie <laughs> comes because of light. Everything good comes from light. God is light. And so what is John saying here? That everything that is good and right, the way it should be in this world, comes from God. We're titling this whole series, The Way. The Way. That God has revealed a way of being, a way of living, a way of existing. And the biggest question <laughs> that we struggle with as human beings is, is what is right and what is wrong? That's a, that's a, big, that's a big issue. Uh, I want to show you a picture. I don't know if we have that, Ken. Um, over this last week, there was a, a, a prize given, a Nobel Prize. Is it up there? Okay. Given to three of, I don't know if they're physicists or astro something. And they, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. My mind went blank on the term. But, but these people have dedicated their lives to understanding the world and the universe. And as they've peered out into space, and I've always been fascinated by this idea of a black hole. It's really interesting. And they studied this idea of a black hole, all three of them in different angles. And this picture is the first picture that's ever really been captured of an actual black hole. Like, it looks tiny on that screen. Um, I can't remember the exact number, but it's like, it's beyond almost mathematical descriptions, like 400 um, something times the mass of our, our sun. It's enormous. But as they peered and they put this together, the, the interesting about, thing about black hole is the separation of darkness and light. Because in the middle of that black hole, there is the absence of light. There is no light. And the fascinating thing about this, and I, I don't understand it completely, I probably never will, but the thing that captures my imagination is that in that black hole, they believe that space and time are bent and that it can't be measured, that nothing can exist in there that we can understand because there's no light. Because light brings order, it brings understanding to everything. And so in that middle of that black hole, it's pure chaos. There's no understanding, total darkness. And then around it, you see the brilliant light of, of millions and millions of stars. And the reason I want to show you that black hole is because it's a picture, I think, of what John is talking about. The contrast between God as light and the reality of darkness. And if you read that Genesis account, if God is light, you see his created order, you see goodness, but then the darkness is characterized as chaos, as chaos. All right, you can go on from that, that picture. So here's the question that John is looking at. If God is light and there is no darkness in him at all, and if we were created to be in fellowship with him, because if you look at the context in the earlier verses, that this idea that Jesus came so that we can have fellowship, we can have relationship with God, the creator of the universe, the creator of all things. If we were made to be with him, how can we be with him if we have darkness in us? And this darkness is characterized as sin in our lives. The Bible refers to this as sin. So how can we have fellowship with God though we are sinful? That's the question. That's the issue that John 
is addressing, that he's looking at in these verses. He says, if we claim to know him, to have fellowship with him, to be in relationship with him, but we continue to walk in darkness and chaos and sin and separation from God, we lie and we do not live out the truth. So there's two claims here. One is a claim that people make saying, I am right, I am with God, I have ordered my life correctly, yet their very actions are in opposition to everything that God is and everything that he has revealed about himself. And John calls that the lie, the great lie. And we are introduced to this lie at the beginning of the story in Genesis because God created Adam and Eve to, in his image to be in relationship with him, to be in fellowship with him, to walk with him, to know him, to enjoy him and all that he has, all that he created. But he said, don't eat of that one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And the lie that the serpent, Satan, told to Adam and Eve is if you eat of that fruit, then you will be like God. That's the issue. This is the false claim. And this is the claim that I like to refer to as the God impulse in all of us. Because deep inside there's a, a rebellion in all of us. And this is the darkness. This is what sin is. It's a rebellion against the goodness and the order of God. And it's the chaos of trying to overtake God and for us to become like God's to try to order the world according to what we think is right. Order the world according to what we think is good. And that is in direct opposition to what God has said is right and what God has said is good. Do you see the conflict? Light and darkness. So the false claim is to say, I am right and I will do what I think is right. The true claim, he says, but if we walk in the light, so if we walk with God, as he is in the light, as God is light, according to what God has said is right, according to what God has said is good, then we have fellowship, relationship. How is this possible? How is it possible to have fellowship with God? But also, look at, look at verse 7 very carefully, with one another. Don't miss that. He, he's talking about our, our relationship with God, but he's also talking about you and me, <laughs> our relationship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So he tells us the solution. <laughs> and it's not from within ourselves. It's not coming from us being so smart to figure this out on our own. It, it's coming from without. It's coming from God himself as we've been revealed to us in John chapter 1 as we look at Jesus, the word of life, Jesus, eternal life. He came and he sacrificed his blood so that we could be made right and good to be in fellowship with God. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the solution. But let's, let's go deeper into the issue of the battle, the contrast between light and darkness, between the false claim and the true claim. Because think about it. If sin is chaos, and boy, we live in a chaotic world, 
and it's chaotic. Why? Why is our world so chaotic? Why is there so much chaos in our own hearts? Why is there so much chaos in our families, in our businesses, everywhere we go? Why? It's this false claim. I know what's right, and you're wrong. (laughs) Have you ever thought that? (laughs) Have you ever said that? Has that ever been said to you? You know, as a a parent, um, no one told me it would mean I would be a referee. (laughs) I was thinking over this last week, uh, we were trying to eat dinner, and, and one of my sons wanted to sit right next to my other son, and the other son didn't want to be with the other son, so he kept moving around the table, and the other son was chasing around the table, and he kept saying, get away from me, and the other one said, I just want to be with you, and it was chaos. (laughs) Our dinner was ruined. (laughs) Why? (laughs) And how many arguments have there been with my kids of over different ideas of saying, I'm right, you're wrong, And it would be easy for me as a parent to say, what's wrong with my kids? But then I think about with my wife, and I think, how many times have I said, I'm right, you're wrong? How many times have she said to me, I'm right, you're wrong? And there's been chaos in our home. Do you relate? (laughs) Or am I the only one? (laughs) I feel feel lonely up here. (laughs) I must be the only one. No. We relate. Why? It's this false claim. I'm right, you're wrong. What does that do? It destroys our relationships. What would happen in my marriage if if we put stakes in the ground and said, I'm never going to admit I'm wrong. I'm always right. We can't have a relationship. We would get separated. We'd get divorced. And we see it all around us. Why don't kids talk to their parents? Why Why do business partnerships break up? I'm right. You're wrong. Why do nations break up? I'm right. You're wrong. So what determines what is right? Who determines what is wrong? That's the issue. (laughs) Secular humanists say we determine because we're good. But the Bible says we're incapable of determining what's right and wrong. We need God. God is light. And there is no darkness in him at all. Do you see how foundational this is? And do you see how a culture can get so far off track when when you try to substitute God for other foundations? If you try to say this is right and this is wrong based on anything else, do you see how we can get so skewed, so off track, so chaotic, so dark, so violent? And so the good news of Jesus stepping into this reality and reminding us of where light, where truth, where order comes from. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. (laughs) That is good news for us. Look with me in chapter two. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So we have to go up and look earlier in, chapter, in verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And here's the reality. And remember, he's writing to Christians. And we're really good sometimes as religious people of seeing what's wrong with everyone else. <laughs> but here's the reality. We have to grapple with our own sin. 
our own darkness, our own selfishness, our own prideful ways. We have, to, we have to grapple with this. We have to understand the reality of sin in all of us. But we also have to see that the way out is this thing called confession. Because he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. Remember that solution? Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross. He shed his blood so that we could be purified. So the solution is there, but the invitation, how do we respond? We confess. So how do I stay married to my wife? <laughs> we have to confess. How do, you, how do you stay in relationship with your kids? You have to confess. How do, you, how do you stay in relationship in business when you do something wrong? You have to confess. And then you have to receive forgiveness. And so if the false claim is I am right and everything I say is good, if that's the false claim, the solution is to say I am not right, I've been wrong, and I confess that, and I ask for forgiveness. And so the worst fruit that can come out of a person's life is to say I have no need for forgiveness. I've done nothing wrong because that is in direct opposition to the solution that God gives to relational brokenness with God and with others. The solution comes when we humble ourselves. Jesus said there were two men praying and one was pridefully praying, saying, God, I'm so good. I've done so many good things. I'm such a good person. And thank God I'm not like that sinner tax collector over there. And then the other man says, Jesus said, he beat his chest and said, I am a sinner and unworthy and he didn't even look up to God. And Jesus said, it's that man who was made righteous, who was able to come into fellowship with God. And so confession, admitting our need forgiveness is the way to God's goodness, is the way to harmony of relationship. It's the way of fellowship, koinonia. What we long for, to be known and to know, to be in community with one another. And that's how the chain of chaos is broken in our world. This is the way. <laughs> Jesus makes a way through confession and repentance and through forgiveness for us to be free. I want to end with a story because if John earlier said, in Jesus is the word of life and he's eternal life and we have seen him and we have touched him, we have heard him. John was there when Jesus was in a crowd and Jesus was on a way to a home, the home of Jairus. Jairus was a, a, a religious leader. He would have been kind of like a pastor. He was a ruler of the synagogue. So he had influence, he had position. Um, he was a well-known man, a well-respected man. But he came to Jesus desperate because he said, my little girl is dying. And he came to Jesus and said, will you come to my house and will you heal my little girl? And so Jesus was on the way with Jairus, this important man. And it wasn't in a, a small thing for this man to confess that he needed Jesus. <laughs> he needed Jesus. But something happened on the way. It says, crowds of people and you can read this in all the gospels but i'm thinking of mark chapter 5 you can read this later the crowds were pressed around jesus 
And all of a sudden, Jesus stopped. And he said, who touched me? <laughs> and the disciples like, Jesus, we're all touching you. But he said, someone touched me. Someone touched me. Who touched me? And here you have this crowd. You have Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, his daughter dying. Think about that moment, that chaos of that moment. People jostling, pushing, yelling, all the sights and the smells. And there Jesus stops and he says, someone touched me. Who touched me? And a woman timidly came out of the crowd and she said, it was me. And Jesus said, why? Why did you touch me? And she had to confess. She said, I've had a problem. In fact, the only way she's introduced as a problem as a woman with a problem with blood bleeding, the issue of blood. And we're not Jews, so we don't understand this, but for a Jewish person, this problem was a, a serious problem, not only physically, but, but it meant that she was excluded from being in the worship. She couldn't go to church. She was excluded from relationships. Everyone around her would have said, what's wrong with you? Because in the Jewish mindset, if, the, if, if someone was sick or if there was a problem, then it was a problem of sin. And there was a problem in her life. And so she would have been excluded. Everyone would have looked down on her. Everyone would have excluded her. She would not have been included. And Jesus stopped. And this is what I want you to hear this morning. <laughs> Because this is what John says in chapter 2. He says, we have an advocate. An advocate. So think about that. Jairus, the very one who probably would have excluded this woman from even coming into the synagogue, is saying, I need you, Jesus. And this woman who was excluded and alone, Jesus says something to her that's very powerful. Because not only did he take away her issue of blood, but he called her something. He called her a daughter. He said, you're part of the family. <laughs> you can have fellowship with me. <laughs> and you can have fellowship with all these people. You're, you're going to be part of God's order, of what is good, what is right. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. He purifies us from sin. He's our advocate. He is the righteous one. He says what's right. Jarius doesn't say what's right. No one in that crowd could tell that woman what was right or wrong, only Jesus. And he spoke life to her. He said, daughter, you belong. I'm here for you. He said, your faith has made you well. What did she and Jairus have in common? Because if you look on the outside, it looks like they have nothing in common. But what did they have in common? They both confessed their need for Jesus. And what did Jesus do for both of them? He brought them near. They had fellowship with the creator of the universe, the one who created everything into existence and made it the way it is and brought order out of chaos. And the chaos of that crowd and that moment and all the competing desires and needs, Jesus stepped into that chaos and he brought life and order and peace and joy and freedom and healing and maybe you're here today and you feel excluded you have a problem you have an issue and people have pushed you away and they said you're wrong but today's the day that can change confess your need for Jesus touch him 
reach out, touch him. He's here, he hears you, he knows you, and he wants to call you a son and a daughter. He wants to bring you into fellowship. Koinonia, not only with himself, but those around you. We can be free because Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only ours, but everyone in this world. Isn't that good news? It's not just for me and you here, but it's for everyone. We have something to share. We can bring this idea that Jesus came into this world and he's faithful, he's just, he's forgiving, he won't condemn, he won't judge, he won't throw rocks, he will save, he will heal, he will restore, and he will make new. Aren't you thankful that God is good? Doesn't that change how we think about his goodness as we think about what God has revealed? He is so, so good. The worship team, why don't you guys come on up? Lord, we praise you. Jesus, we worship you. We thank you that you've brought us near. And I pray if there's someone here who feels far off, that right now they would know your voice, that you would speak into the deepest parts of their hearts and they would know that they are accepted and they are loved and that you made a solution, you made a, you made a way for them.